1: Tonight, we are bringing that book to you in live form, Switched On Pop, How Popular Music Works and Why It Matters. In it, we pair some of the most important songs the last 20 years with the musical concepts that bring those songs to life, so you can better hear the tracks
0: in all their brilliance. So tonight, we're going to listen to some of our favorite songs discussed in the book, and we're going to celebrate some of the most, we think, creative breakthroughs in contemporary popular music. And let's start by bringing it back to Britney. Britney.
1: When Oops I Did It Again, Oops Exclamation Point Ellipsis, I Did It Again, was released in two thousand, it was savaged by the music critical establishment. We have some selected uh quotations. It was uh it was referred to as competent cheese by one reviewer. It's
0: a great band name.
1: Yeah. And by another, uh, Britney Spears was dismissed as a, quote, dress-up doll programmed to satisfy as many different fans and fantasies as possible. And I think that was very emblematic of the reaction to this song and to Britney Spears in general. People didn't know what to make of this artist. Was she the innocent ingenue or was she the knowing, sexually liberated adult? Was she, to quote another song from the same time, not a girl, but not yet a woman. This was very vexing, Um, and what's fascinating to us is that this sort of identity trouble that people had with Britney Spears is mirrored in the music of one of her biggest hits, which if we listen to the chorus, it oscillates between two tonal centers, between a minor tonal center... Ooh, that's a little harsh, (laughs) but it's okay. So a a minor tonal center a major tunnel center. Oops, I did it again. Played with your heart, got lost in the game, oh baby. And then we go back to minor. Yeah. So that's pretty cool on its own. But then we can even go deeper. This chord progression that moves back and forth between minor and major, Britney Spears is not the first to use it. This is a chord progression that stretches back through centuries of musical history. It's called La Folia, and we can find it in the court of the Sun King, Louis Fourteenth, Maestro. That is, of course, I mean, I know it's on the tip of your tongues, we can all say it together. That is by Jean-Baptiste Lully, <laughs> who had an illustrious career, uh, dominated the musical culture of Europe for decades until he, was, um, he liked to conduct his orchestra with an ornate, massive, bejeweled staff, scepter thing. And he would pound it on the ground, dun, 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 until one day he pounded it into his big toe, which got infected with gangrene, and then he died. <laughs> so Britney Spears uses this ancient chord pro- progression to project two visions of her identity, major and minor, but she has another way in which she gives us two versions of herself, and that we have to kind of wait till the very end of the song. First, we need to familiarize ourselves with one uh, version of the chorus of this song. Let's Let's hear the first version of the chorus that may be familiar to you. Okay, and to make sure we really have that in our ears, let's have uh, this side of the room from Emily over, down from this gorgeous tree over this. We're all going to sing that together. One, two, three, four. Oops, I did it again. I played with your heart. Got lost in the game. Ooh, baby, baby. Baby. That was beautiful. (laughs) It's a good crowd. What you might not remember about this song is there's another version of the chorus. About a th- two-thirds of the way through this song, there's this interlude that references the 1998 movie Titanic. And then we get a chorus, but it's not the same chorus we just heard. It's slightly different. Check it out. Okay. Let's have the other half of the room, let's sing this alternate chorus together. Y'all ready? This is a little tricky, but I know you got it. One, two, three, four, pause. Oops, I did it again to your heart. Got lost in this game, oh baby, baby. Beautiful. So this is pretty exciting. We have two different versions of the chorus in, in this song. And that alone, Diana, that would be enough, and yet, they give us more. At the very end of this song, we get chorus one and chorus two at the same time. What does that sound like? All right, ready, everyone? Deep breath, focus. Chorus two, chorus one, here we go, one. Charlie, you're going to take chorus one, right? Okay, Okay, okay. I'm going to take chorus two. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Oops, Oops, I did it again. Did it again to your heart. heart. Got lost lost in the game. In this game, oh baby, baby. baby. Yes.
0: Your your side was so beautiful that I got got lost. They were so beautiful. I got lost in that game. I'm
1: impressed how well that went. We have two choruses that meet at the end. We have two visions of this pop star. We have the, the innocent and the knowing, the, the inexperienced and, the, and the, the worldly. And I think by the end of the song, we realize that just like all of us, Britney Spears is not one or the other. She is many things. We all contain multiple identities. None of us is just this or that. And this song, that's really what this song is about, not just in its lyrics, but in its music, in the oscillation between major and minor chords, and in the way we have these two choruses that come together at the end. 20 years later, we can appreciate the song at the turn of the millennium as setting us up for two beautiful decades of pop music.
0: Yeah, and you know, but still t- 20 years later after this, this criticism of competent cheese, we will start that band. We've been meaning to start a band together. Um, there are still a lot of uh, I think sort of boring but very common criticisms that we frequently run into. Um, we're lucky to uh, have folks that listen to the, the show oftentimes are great appreciators of popular music but sometimes they bring their friend in who's a real curmudgeon and they like to show that off by writing us very long emails trying to prove that popular music is um, completely unworthy of analysis. So, so, so unworthy that it just requires a 10 page email analysis of why it's unworthy of analysis. So. I don't think we have to take these criticisms too too seriously, but um, well, just to address a couple of them, uh, pop music was better back then. Mm. Okay, boomer, seriously, <laughs> please. Every era has had um, periods of. Um, you know, oftentimes, this is associated with like things are are too manufactured. But you can go back to Tin Pan Alley in the beginning of popular music, or the Braille Building, or um, Motown, all these different eras where there were you know, sort of factories of pop music being made. And oftentimes those end up being the sort of touchstones for different generations of the things that they love. And you know, here in Hollywood, you don't have to go very far down, uh, uh, down Sunset, and you'll bump into songwriting studios where the same sort of thing happens, where songwriters every single day are getting together and trying to generate a hit. And it's really hard to do so. Mm. Um, So uh, it all sounds the same. There's also the criticism of, well, they all just use the same chords. It's true. Um, It often is true. Uh, One of the most common chord progressions that we hear all the time is called the 1950s progression, uh, also because it's so saccharine-sounding. People will call it ice cream changes, ice cream chord changes. Uh, And we can hear it in endless songs. Uh, It was first performed in Blue Moon, but Nate will give us a little rendition of uh, a (laughs) variety of eras of the ice cream changes. When the night...
1: No, that's not loud enough.
0: The amp stopped working, maybe. Oh, yeah, you, you gotta plug it in. There we go. Ah, plug it in, Charlie.
1: <laughs> there we go. That's the harsh
0: tone we all want.
1: There we go. When the night is cold and the land is dark, baby, 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 ooh, I thought he'd always be mine. YMCA, it's fun to stay at the YMCA. So let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter than the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the idea.
0: Yeah, people are often looking. You know. He is a real talent. He, it is a tiny piano that he's playing. It's that much more Very impressive. Smart. Very small. Um, yeah, so there's, you know, I think oftentimes people are looking for some sort of um, measurable, quantifiable thing that says, well, we, I know the music you're listening to is no good and I know this because those chords are all the same, but had you not thought about it, all those songs are, those are all iconic songs and you probably wouldn't have connected them unless you were looking to you know, find some way to, to tear them down. And as we've heard, classical composers use
1: the same chord
0: progression. Handel, Mozart, Rachmaninoff, they all use it. Yeah. No one seems to criticize them. No problem. Yeah. 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 People also complain that pop melodies can be too boring. Mm. Sometimes that's true. You know, we are really big fans of Taylor Swift. I think she's a pretty amazing melodyist. She writes really great melodies. She has this way of oftentimes giving you a verse, and then the second verse she changes all these things in this like really nuanced but powerful way, where it's like it's something entirely new yet you can already sing it. It's a very hard quality. But even Taylor will resort to, you know, a, a one-note melody that is incredibly reductive.
1: Um are we, out of the woods? are we out of the woods yet? are we out of the woods yet are we out of the woods yet
0: are we out of the woods <laughs> It's a good song it's a good I think it's a good amount okay, so maybe there are some things which can be uh you know recycled about about pop music, but we think in our we we, we try to explore in our book some other elements that are perhaps more creative and more uh innovative uh perhaps uh you know, Today we want to talk about three of our favorites. Uh, timbre. We have a really fun chapter on timbre. We have a really fun chapter on rhythm and on form. And we're mm. going to highlight some of the best moments in contemporary music. Um, and we want to start off with timbre. Timbre. I got it. I, I couldn't say it correctly.
1: T-I-M-B-R-E. Timbre. Like the French would say it.
0: And this, so this, timbre is all about, you know, people will say, like, pop music all sounds the same. And we've already addressed, like, yeah, the chords might be the same, sometimes the melodies might be simple, but timbre, this is where things can really uh, shine. Timbre is roughly, it is the, the texture, the, the tone of a sound. It's how we identify uh, Nate's voice versus my voice, although sometimes people get very upset, they think we sound too much alike. He has a much bassier, very beautiful voice. Right. <laughs> um, but it's also how we can uh, hear a violin play something, and then you hear the same thing on a piano, and there's no confusing the instruments. It's the, the color of the sound playing the exact same notes. You can identify them. And um, you know it's, this is one of the, I think, the most important elements of, of music, and yet it's also one of the things which is least theorized. We don't really actually have a very good language to describe it. When we talk about rhythm, right, we can notate rhythm. We can talk about melodies and harmonies uh, ad nauseum, we like to do so, uh, but timbre is fairly opaque, and so we often have to apply language uh, that doesn't really, that isn't scientific or, or solid, and we might say that something uh, feels scratchy or rough or tinny or warm, all these other adjectives to try to describe the sound. And there's a reason for that. When
1: you do a brain scan, this is something we learned in researching in this book, when you do a brain scan of a brain listening to a sound, if that sound is scratchy, your brain will also light up the part of the brain. I don't, I'm not He's a, not a ne- neurologist. The part, it'll light up the part of the brain that feels something scratchy. So if, when you hear a rough table, when you hear the voice of Louis Armstrong or like Macy Gray or someone, your brain actually tells you that voice not only sounds scratchy and rough, it actually feels rough. Yeah. So, and if something, if it, vice versa, if you have a smooth voice, you'll actually be like, ooh, that's a smooth feeling. <laughs> so we feel t- timbre, which is p- prob- possibly why we don't articulate it very well.
0: Yeah. Uh, probably a great example of this would be uh, we, we talk about in our, in our book is uh, Sia's Chandelier. I want you to listen to how she sings this. We've actually isolated her vocals here for you. <laughs> It's beautiful. and you know, The, the, the mm. rasp in her voice seems to uh, emote the reckless quality of swinging from a chandelier. It's not a safe thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, she, at the end of the phrase, I'm a new dad. I'm Charlie, ready. yeah, Charlie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only swing on chandeliers under adult supervision. Yeah, exactly. So it's very, very important.
0: Uh, and at the end of that phrase, though, the way that she sort of smooths her voice out, there's incredible control. She really knows what she's doing here. And it, uh, I think on the other side of the recklessness of swinging from a chandelier, there's the sort of celebration and joy that she uh, has in doing so. And so it just in one little phrase, you get multiple timbres that mm. actually bring that song to life. And it's not just vocalists that can um, evoke uh, a strong emotion through their, uh, their performance. Uh, instrumentalists can do so as well, and so we're gonna play a little game. It's called "It's Going Down." I'm yelling "Timber," and um, I know I knew dad working on really bad puns. Um, and so we're gonna play. You, I'm gonna play you three clips of different guitarists, and I tried to find things that were maybe like a little more obscure. Um, so they have, these are like very short, weird clips. But the point is, I think there's gonna be somebody in the room that can say, "I know exactly who that is." because the way they play is immediately evo- evokes that person. All right, so um, first hand up. If you get it right, you win a prize. If you get it wrong, I might give you a prize anyway. So here's, here's the first song, and it's going down on me like timbre. All right, I think I saw that first. Yeah, yeah Jimi Hendrix, okay. Anyone got the song? <laughs> you got a sticker! <laughs> Yay! And so that was an isolated little no moment hesitation. from the song Red House. Um, all right, second song, and it's going down. I'm yelling timbre. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. St. Wow. Vincent. <laughs> you win a sticker. <laughs> all right, last song. Here we go. Isolated guitar. Short little moment. I'm so sorry I'm doing this to you. In the back with a bray. One more time? No, but you get a sticker anyway for trying. Great I think are Great guess. Yes, Santana. Santana. We got a sticker and a sticker. There you go. Um, send, them, send some stickers all the way back. Pass all right, we, them back. We pass these back? we got two stickers. All right, yeah. So the point being, like, you can get an isolated, strange little moment, and you know who it is. What an amazing thing. Timbre is amazing. Um, And it's particularly amazing in contemporary popular music, because it really ends up being oftentimes the most important element of what makes a song sing. Mm. Okay. We're going to do another, we're going to do one more thing that requires a little audience interaction. And here, I need somebody who is Gen Y or older identifying. Does anybody want to participate in a little game here? We're going to have to, Gen Y is older than millennial, yeah. So anyone who's older than millennial, and if you don't want to do it, you're going to be put on the spot. Oh, right, you got it. I was going to put one of our family members on the spot, so thank you for saving them. I did that in New York recently, and my cousin Mimi was very upset. Yeah. <laughs> okay, So and, and your name? French? French? French, thank you for, uh, for joining this little uh, experiment. So um, I'm going to have Nate play um, a thing on the piano, and I, all I want is your honest reaction to it, whatever it evokes. <laughs> this is not a gag. Okay. Mod. and then the second part sounded like castanets castanets or or okay cool interesting so i'm going to play you a, uh the actual song and i would love your reaction to the the song that he's playing if anyone already knows it you get so many bonus stickers oh my god <laughs> 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 So, how would you describe this timbre? Uh, it's like archetypal dubstep. Archetypal mm. dubstep. What are, what are like the feelings, that it might come out for, for the, in this sound for you? Whenever I think of dubstep, I think of something smearing. Something smearing, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. I mean, maybe even. Totally. Yeah, I love that butter. Yeah, scraping. I think like even more like metal scraping across pavement. It is not a. It's not necessarily a pleasant sound. In fact, but uh, also with butter. Also with There's butter. Butter's in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oral vandalism. Or, oral, oral vandalism. That's great. Yeah, that could be a book. Um, so this song um, also it's not the album
1: s- by Confident Cheese. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also. Also, uh, not a scientist, but uh, in researching the book, we did find out that this song was used as an effective mosquito repellent against dengue fever. And uh, mosquitoes that were exposed to this song became lazier. Uh, they, they mated less, and they also uh, did not uh, attack people as much. And so um, if you don't like this song, uh, neither do mosquitoes, it turns out. Or maybe they really like it, and they're just totally in, 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 yeah, intoxicated by it. I, yeah, and that's seriously, this is definitely a song that uh, would, would probably under extreme isolation when I was in the song would not be very pleasant for some people. I love this song. Um, this All song right. was recorded... You're, your portion is over now. Yeah. So just, you <laughs> could just. Did you get a sticker? You could just. Oh, yeah, but you do get a sticker. You can, you can talk until you get a sticker. That's how it goes. Um, so this song was recorded just on a laptop. Like this laptop but like seven years ago uh maybe a little longer it reached number 49 on the billboard 200 and it's an entirely instrumental except for a sample from youtube in which this young woman says oh my gosh um she's a
1: 11 year old cup stacking champion by the way
0: yeah which i just totally pivots the name Ra-
1: rachel nedro <laughs> i'm a big fan of hers
0: um so, but these bristling sounds, uh, this timbre totally upended the EDM festival circuit. This, when, when, when Skrillex put out this song, uh, there were endless mimics of people doing this um, at places like Electric Daisy Carnival and so on. Um, it, was also, it was such a popular sound for a moment that it even might have inspired Taylor Swift. so why timbre? You know, if we we go back to those sort of early criticisms, uh, chords are, we've had so many, we have 100 years of pop music in which we've explored harmony. We've uh, gotten to play with a lot of melodies against that harmony. I think today, um, especially with synthesis and things that people do on their computer, oftentimes timbre ends up being the currency. It's Mm. the thing, if you're a vocalist or you're a guitarist, it's the thing which people identify with you, but it's also the way that you might surprise people with some of those Uh, rhythms, melodies, and harmonies that people already know.
1: Another musical element that we think pop music is particularly innovative within is rhythm. And in our chapter uh, on rhythm, we use the example of trap music, trap hip-hop, the southern style of hip-hop known for its heavy bass and woozy textures. And maybe most... Notably, the trap hi hat. Um, now, trap music is a, another one of these pop music styles that is often dismissed by critics, and 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 when they do so, it's 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 often in a language that's laced with race and 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 pathology even. Um, so we want to really isolate this musical aspect of, of the sound and, and, and really appreciate what it's doing. This is the trap hat. It's a hi-hat, like, just like you, a jazz drummer would, would beat out a rhythm like tss, 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 tss. This is the same principle. But these hi-hats are programmed by computers, and they rattle and shake and, and, and blister by in impossibly fast combinations. Um, let's hear the trap hat in the context of Kendrick Lamar's Swimming Pools. pools pools This is a sound that has even started to migrate beyond the world of of trap music. You can hear it in a a track like a 1960s throwback Aretha Franklin track by uh, an artist like Lizzo, Because I Love You. You'll still hear those trap drums in the background. What is the power of these trap drums? We think it has a lot to do with syncopation. Syncopation, the art of putting a rhythmic emphasis in a place where you don't expect it. You expect the rhythm here and it shows up here. That is uh, That creates what one researcher calls a violation of structural expectations. It's very upsetting <laughs> and yet very pleasurable at the same time. <laughs> this is the magic of syncopation. Ooh, I didn't expect that and I kind of like it. <laughs> Trap drums take that to the nth degree. How do these trap drums work? Charlie has graciously (laughs) prepared us uh, a little example. You're gonna hear this hi-hat tick, 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 and it's gonna go faster and faster in multiples until it reaches an almost impossibly fast tempo. What was happening at the end there?
0: <laughs> so you might have noticed this like very obnoxious, buzzy thing at the end. That was, that was still the hi-hat, right? And I'm exploiting this uh, musical property of acoustics where if something repeats fast enough, we actually perceive it as a tone. Um, and so to, to just isolate that, here's a, a hi-hat going from very slow to fast, and you'll hear how that works. Slow. Faster. wow that 's all I had.
1: <laughs> this is something that a human could not do. A human being cannot play the drums that fast if they can that 's very upsetting. Um, <laughs> this is something that can only be achieved by com- computer this is a yeah. this is a product of the 21st century this is the sound of the the technology that we are able to use to make mm-hmm. music today though human drummers are now trying to recreate that sound this is cool on, in its in itself, but in Kendrick Lamar's Swimming Pools, he takes this syncopation to another level. Let's let's zoom in on one section of the song. This is the second verse. We're going to hear two simultaneous divisions of the beat. The, The trap hat will divide the beat into groups of two. Tick, 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 tick. While Kendrick's voice will divide the beat into groups of three at the same time. One to three, one to three, one to three, one to three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three one. at the same time. Let's hear it. If I take another one down, I'm a journalist and poison, I'm losing my limit. I think that I'm feeling a pop. I see the love in her eyes. I see the feeling of freedom. The freedom is granted as soon as the damage of Bucket of Rath. This is a capital mass. This is a perpetual mass, and apparently I'm only influenced by what you are doing, that I was doing the most. This is funky mathematics right here. This is calculated to reach the maximum heights of syncopation. We have a steady beat being divided by the trap hat into two, tick, 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 tick. while at the same time, Kendrick's voice divides it into three. I feel, uh, (laughs) I see the feeling the freedom is granted as soon as the damage of vodka arrived. One, two, three, one, two, three, tick, 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 two, one, two, three, one, two, three. So if we visualize that, here's a beat, and here's my trap hat, one, two, I'd be like, And here's Kendrick.
0: One, two, three.
1: Three. Look at that. Look at that visual syncopation right there. Your brain is torn between a division of three, an odd division, and a division of two, an even division. You can't make up your mind, and that is exactly why this song is so compelling. Now, zoom out. What is this song about? Swimming Pools is Kendrick Lamar's meditation on generational alcoholism and the perils. It's basically an anti-drinking PSA, and yet he is trying to inebriate you with the sound of this syncopated track. I think that's why it's so powerful. It's a warning. It's saying, "This is here's temptation, can you resist?
0: Mm. I can't.
1: <laughs> Take it so, away, Chuck.
0: So it, as, as you sort of realize, in each chapter of our book, we pair a musical concept and a song that are perfectly married together because one brings the other to life. And one one part of popular music that might seem at first, wow, that is... Zoe K. everyone, that was
1: ninja skills right there.
0: Thank you, save the foam. one part of popular music that, uh, at first glance, might seem a little—I don't know—a little boring—we um, find extremely exciting is song form. <laughs> do, you, do you have like a? <laughs> okay, song form. Song, song form. form. Song form. Song form is basically just you know how a song is laid out, the structure of a song, the way that people would lay out a book, and uh, songs have a very. Um, Standard form, most songs today are in verse-chorus form. We're gonna get into what that means. You might be familiar. Verse-chorus form has been uh, dominant since the 1960s. Most songs have a verse and then a chorus, they repeat that. Um, There's a chorus at the end. But before the 1960s, there was an entirely different way of writing songs. It was called uh, 32-bar form or A-A-B-A form. The way that songs were written, um, what got people excited, the climax of the song was in a totally different place. So we can think of songs like uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, My Funny Valentine, Blue Moon, and every single holiday song pretty much ever written. Winter Wonderland, Let It Snow, Rudolph the
1: Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty uh, the Snowman, All I Want for Christmas Is You, The
0: Christmas Song. There are more <laughs> that I can think of. And um, so AABA... I think is more fun to hear than it is to talk about analytically. And we're really lucky that tonight, you know, we are in LA, there's a lot of improvisers in LA. We have the like, world's leading improviser in AABA song forms on the spot. It's really, I'm very honored that he's here with me. He's right here, it's Nate Sloan. Hey, thank you so <laughs> much. It's
1: great to be here. Let's make a song together. This is an AABA song. It's gonna be really easy to write. Every section is gonna be eight measures long. And guess what? Three of them are exactly the same. A, 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 and then we just need a little B section in there. We'll figure that out. We already know each of these A sections is going to end the same way, just the same way that Winter Wonderland always ends. Walking in a winter wonderland. So we, that's all. We, we know the end of each of the phrases, and that will probably be the title of the song. So let's figure that out to start with. What's the title of the song? Someone give me a, a phrase, a, a thought that you might have in the 1920s or 30s. What do you say to yourself, or what do you think? What kind of interactions do you have? you it's, let's go to the soda fountain. Wow, that's killer. I mean, if anyone wants to try and top that, you're, you're welcome to. And rightly, no one, no one dares. I don't blame you. Soda fountain, okay, great. So now we need three rhymes with fountain. Mountain, yeah, great. Countin,
0: oh yeah. Go all slang.
1: Okay, we need one more. Are there any more? Downton, Downton, like. Downton, Downton Abbey.
0: <laughs> this is gonna be very anachronistic. This song. <laughs> okay. All right.
1: Okay, Downton, Counton, and uh, Mount. Mountain. Mount. Yeah. Okay, so maybe for the first one it'll be like, um, you know, something. Let's keep it simple to start. You know, uh, when I'm thirsty, nothing will do. Uh, or, or when i 'm thirsty, I would climb a mountain uh or with you oh okay you're that's that's much appreciated when we get to the bridge i 'm going to need you. I would climb a mountain um or or I could always just go to the soda fountain or what is it let 's go to the so- soda fountain yeah okay if thank you yeah so if i 'm if i 'm thirsty, uh, I might climb a mountain. Uh, let's make it easier. Let's go to the soda fountain. Whew, okay, second A section. The second A section. Um, uh, I've uh, probably been a hundred times, but who's counting? <laughs> let's uh, come with me. Let's go to the soda fountain. Okay, now we need a, a bridge. So, what's something you know? Something that would make you strike fear into the heart of someone wanting to go to the soda fountain? You know, <laughs> we need a little obstacle here. Um, yeah, so be-
0: <laughs> no carbonation.
1: Yeah, um, you know, from east to west across this great nation, there's a crisis of carbonation. <laughs> and then... Um, in, in <laughs> um, Let's get cozy and watch some Downton. But before we do, let's go to the soda fountain. Oh, you got a vault. All right, let's do that <laughs> Um... When I'm thirsty, I would climb a mountain. Um, with you, <laughs> you know what? I think we, I think we got this song. I'm not gonna play it. <laughs>
0: you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, okay,
1: I'm sure. I don't like the way this piano sounds. I'm sorry, but you, there it is. Let's let's review. Um, when I'm thirsty, I would climb a mountain. Or let's make it easy. Let's just go to the se- so Fan. A section. There's some chord changes. B section. Uh, I've I've. Drank 100, but who's counting?
0: Come on, on, let's uh, go down to the soda fountain. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so there it is A A V A. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. <laughs> okay, but here's the point. Here's the point. <laughs> I'm not saying that is the greatest song ever. Top 10, maybe, but I'm not saying it's the greatest <laughs> song ever. But how quickly do we write that? You can churn out these A-A-B-A songs. And that's what's so appealing about them. And that's why they dominate popular music from the 1920s to the 1950s. Every song is an A-A-B-A until the 1960s when verse chorus form comes along
0: changed and so to highlight verse chorus form we're going to go into a song that we explore in our in the book one of my absolute favorites so that we can get a, a real good ear on how the verse chorus works we're going to e- listen to rihanna's we found love featuring calvin harris uh, i believe this is from 2011 and um we're going to think about this perhaps like the verse chorus form you know or in like in the aaba form you get the a section right away it's like you sort of blowing all the energy it's just like you, you get. it's like the chorus is up front right first chorus doesn't do that it's kind of more like a roller coaster and so mm-hmm. we're going to start with a verse and we're going to like sort of just like move along slowly and here's the ver- here's the verse of uh, Rihanna yeah, steady not too energetic yeah if that they're, were the song they're like
1: put if you're on a roller coaster that this is when they're like <laughs> pulling down the I like safety. We have safety rails. rails. Yeah. yeah, Charlie's so turned on <laughs> All right, we're we're getting, right we're getting, we're getting yeah. ready. You're really snug. <laughs> really. Yeah, Maybe real there's safe. a belt too. Yeah.
0: I need that cuz we're going to get some loop de loops coming up. All right. Up. Pull all right. So, all right. So, uh, but the song, if that were the song, if that were the A section you'd be like, mm, "Okay, I'm moving on. I'm going to skip that song." Next we get the pre-chorus. The pre-chorus is like when you're on the roller coaster and it starts like ticking up. And so here we're like moving up you're like t- Right. And, and getting would, some altitude. Yeah. yeah. But again, it'd be very unsatisfying if this were the end of the song. You need the chorus. This is where we're finally going to start doing some loop de loops. <laughs> They don't end there, though. Normally, what would happen is you just go back to the verse, you get another pre-chorus, a chorus, you get a bridge, and then a chorus, a chorus, that's a, that's a pop song. But Rihanna and Calvin Harris don't do that. They've introduced something entirely new they, uh, Kelvin Harris, for those who don't know, he's a um, uh, you know EDM uh, DJ and producer, um, so dance music, and he decides, well, why don't we borrow the song form from electronic dance music, and we're going to insert it into a pop song. This is the first successful pop song to do this. So there's a whole another section. This is the build. <laughs> And what the build does is that it establishes an even greater uh, (laughs) expectation of energy, and then it drops. (laughs) Monster. There we go. (laughs) We're looping around. (laughs) It's so much fun. (laughs) They've done something brilliant. They've taken this idea of the, the build or the riser and the drop section from electronic dance music. They've created an extended pop song form, and now the highest moment of energy in the song isn't the chorus, it's this other section. It's this instrumental part. There's not even really a vocal going on there. And yet it's the part where we actually then insert ourselves. We, we dance. Um, it is the greatest moment of celebration in the song. Um, we, don't th- we, we, we think this is extremely exciting, not just in the, I like song forming, I can geek out about it, but if we think about what is it doing in the song, I think it elevates... I think it elevates the expectation of, um, you know she's saying like, I'm stuck in a hopeless place, is the lyric. And hmm. there is this great catharsis, this great release that happens when the drop occurs. Yeah. Uh, the song itself is about meeting someone on a dance floor and the excitement of that. And so you can almost, there's almost like, you can see the video of them meeting and then all the words drop out and they're just dancing together. So the, the song form and this, this, this new creative song form matches what they're trying to say in the song. And we don't think that, um, that this, this then got borrowed by everybody. We, we coined this little thing, the pop drop, taking the drop and inserting it into um, a pop song. For about five years, everybody took this sound. Uh, folks like the Chainsmokers, Kelvin Harris repeated himself many times doing this. Um, but we also hear uh, form, innovation in song form, especially in hip hop. You could look at, uh, Kanye recently released a song called Follow God, which completely lacks a chorus whatsoever. Uh, one of our favorite songs that we talked about on our, on our show a while back was uh, Travis Scott's Sicko Mode. It's a song which is actually composed of three totally distinct sections which are almost their own song. Mm. They're, it's a Frankenstein of a song, and it was a wild hit. Uh, one of my favorites of the last couple of years would be Beyonce's Formation, this song doesn't have just one chorus. It has two. This is, the, this is what is labeled as the chorus uh, in its official li- liner notes. It's a good chorus. But that doesn't even have the, the, the song title. Usually the song title is also the chorus, you know, that mm. makes it the most memorable. She also has this section. And, and if you were, you know, walking down the street in L.A., which you wouldn't be doing, because why are you walking in L.A.? Um, but if you were on a subway in another city or something and listening to your music, um, you, or maybe just, like, playing it in your head, you might sing either one of those sections. They're both equally, I think, hooky and serve as they're both choruses. W- so what's what's the whole point here? Like, for... The first half of pop music, there was this A-A-B-A song form. And now, and then there, there was for 60, 70 years, verse chorus form, and we're hearing these hints of these things falling apart. Yeah. I don't know, what, do you, what, what does it mean to you? I think it means that we might be on the
1: precipice of the, the next tectonic formal shift in American mm-hmm. popular music, mm-hmm. which is exciting because we've only had two <laughs> so far. <laughs> Pop music changes really fast. The sounds of pop music change really fast, but the form of pop music changes at a glacial pace. So, the fact that we might be seeing the emergence of a new formal logic is very exciting.
0: Yeah, it's a new ways of people able to express themselves. I think that's very exciting. So, all right, so we've talked about timbre, rhythm, and form. These are just some of the ways that contemporary pop music innovates and pushes, I think, the, mu- the musical envelope. Um, if you feel like you are in a musical stasis or you feel that snobbish critic coming on, you're thinking like, man, the music today just is not as good as it used to be. We, believe that, we, we do believe that there's something to be found in every era, in every genre. And we want to help offer um, an expanded vocabulary to help you think about um, what is going on in music. So when you encounter that thing which is unfamiliar, you have the words that you need to start to investigate it a little bit more, to be curious about it. And so that's exactly what we do in uh, Switched on Pop, how popular work, How Popular music works and why it matters. Uh, we would love if you pick up a copy of the book. I wanna thank Skylight and for all of you for coming out. We um, are gonna take some questions. Yeah. 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 Should we kick off with some Q&A? Let's do it. Great, all right. <laughs> thank, oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, one little thing. Do we have our sign-up thing? No idea. No idea. Hmm. I might have a sign-up list if I do. I'm going to put one up here and one back there. And uh, I like to send people a little good night email that would include a playlist of all the songs you heard tonight, a link to the book and our favorite episodes of the show, as well as an embarrassing photo of the two of us. That's the real reason why you want to sign up. So uh, I'll try to get that out up front and over here. Just wanted to get that out there. But let's do some Q&A. Any questions? Yes. Something mm. gets stuck in your head. And you talk about these different structures. Travis Scott's um, sicko mode was a huge hit in this Beyonce formation. Uh, what are, are songs more likely to stick in your head if they are a traditional structure? or Because like, it sort of surprises me that there would be such huge hits and be such different structures or different forms. So I'm wondering if there is a logic to how songs get stuck in our heads.
1: That's a great question. <laughs> There's a sticker.
0: If I would paraphrase, topic. what's
1: your name? Miriam, if I paraphrase Miriam's question, I would say that how can we begin to diagnose what makes a song catchy, what makes a song an earworm? Because in, in looking at all the how, how different all these songs are on the surface, yeah. how can you identify something constant in, in their catchiness? Take it away, Charlie. <laughs> I told you the sticker was a delay tactic. We tried, we, we did an episode on this recently, or no, no, actually we did it a while ago, where we tried to see if you could take a really nasty atonal melody and if it could still get stuck in your head. Mm. So, because, because the question we were asking is like, is how much of this catchiness is just repetition? And like, if you heard something enough times, would it immediately, would it get stuck in your head, regardless of how melodically unpleasant it is? It didn't work.
0: Oh the really, I had to say thing head. you can still sing it,
1: yeah, my yeah, exactly, <laughs> so we have a chapter in the book which is all about the hook, and I think one thing that we have one thing that we could say in answer to your your wonderful and very difficult question is that. Songs are particularly catchy when the musical elements match the lyrical message of the song. We have a chapter exploring that through Ariana Grande's Break Free, um, which is a song about breaking out of a dead-end relationship, and every element of the song, all the hooks in that song are about escape and, and like breaking free. So I think that, that is a very catchy song to me, and I think it shares something, even if song, songs sound different, what makes them catchy is that there's this strong link between the musical components and the lyrical message, and when they match together, I think that burns into your brain in an unforgettable way.
0: Yeah, and I would just add that a, a lot of uh, songwriters today, when they think about writing a song, they'll often talk about trying to write hooks. Oftentimes people will use the word hook synonymous with the chorus, um, but, uh, but really a hook is anything, as you sort of put it, that gets stuck in your ear. So with formation, there are two hooks. You don't really know which one is the, the, the climax of the song, and oftentimes really great songwriters, every section will have a hook. You're, you don't want to waste any material. There's no filler, um, and so you might be singing the pre-chorus, the verse, the intro, whatever. Um, I wish we had a... If there was a scientific way of doing it, We'd be number one on the billboard right now. So um thank you for your question. So going on that, I mean like Beethoven, he was the rock star at this time. Or even Bach
1: and like Contra Control, and they have these different like, even even style, which has movement tempo, are we talking the same language when we bring in these innovative ideas into your system? Mm. What's your name? Shana, Shana <laughs> asks if we can put the rock star Beethoven and Johann Sebastian Bach in the same musical world as Taylor Swift and Kendrick Lamar and Rihanna <laughs> because they were innovating in these in the realms of of modulation and counterpoint um yeah I mean we we. Think of Beethoven's. We, we think of the opening of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony as a hook, and you would agree. Shane agrees. Yeah, how they how he manipulates that hook is maybe fundamentally different than the way Taylor Swift or or Rihanna or Ariana Grande does. But at the at the core of that is is still an un an an un for. Uh, an unforgettable musical motive idea that, has, that is carried through. I mean, that was Beethoven's great innovation, was that he takes that motive and threads it through the entirety of that symphony, which no one had ever really done before. And that is, I think, what a good pop song does as well. It takes that central idea and threads it through the fabric of the entire song. So the, the, the means are different, but the goal is similar, perhaps? The fans were the same, Yes. Yeah. Well, no, Beethoven changed that. Mozart, if you went to a Mozart performance, it was like a a rock show. People were yelling, people were uh, throwing things, yeah. People were interrupting operas to say, sing that again in the middle of the performance. Literally, that's where the term encore comes from. It's not something you said at the end of the concert, it's something you said in the middle of the concert. (laughs) When you heard something you liked, people would just start yelling, encore, 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 and the musicians would have to play that piece again. Because you couldn't go back home and listen to it on Spotify. This was your one chance to hear it. So you would say encore again, again, 30 times they would do this. And they would say, "Okay, now you can can now go on with whatever opera this this is. So yeah, I think I'm glad you I appreciate your question, Shane. I think they're in both the, the musical material and the performative context. These worlds of classical and pop have more in common than we think. Please. you get a sticker for that <laughs> <laughs> what's your name uh, no yeah and tr- and Trolls is your jam well, no, like the hair up song particularly symphonic meets trap yeah
0: well I don't know it. I'm excited to hear it great <laughs> yeah please You know, there's That's a, a great, will yeah. you repeat, repeat the question? Oh, yeah, yeah. in your name one more time? Nick? Uh, Nick asked about uh, how is it that there can be songwriters that write bangers that uh, have no formal training in music theory or, you know, have never gone to conservatory. And I think uh, rather than us answering that question, uh, we have an expert. Her name is Lizzo. Because we don't be thinking about this. Like, I, when yeah. I make music, I am a uh, music major. So I've studied yeah. music theory. I'm a music nerd. I Ooh. analyze other mm-hmm. things. But when I'm making mine, it's so subconscious. Oh, totally. it's, it's freestyle mostly now. The, similarly, Sia was asked, uh, you know, your, your music, you write a song in, in, in 20 minutes. I mean, what's the deal? Like, that can't be, like, that's not, you know, that's not real art form. She's like, it took me 15 years to write a song in 20 minutes. So a lot of this stuff um, you can pick up, um, you know, statistically through just experience learning these things. Um, I, I think what, what Lizzo points out, we've talked about with other folks on our show, is that having the language of, of music and music theory can be um, helpful, especially to, help to get you unstuck. So it's like, we've written a great song. It was all intuitive. I'm a great musician who's been on tour for 10 years, and I just write good songs, but I can't figure out the bridge, what do we do next, then having some of those tools can be really helpful. Um, but yeah, pop music, as much as we love analyzing it, I think there's, we, we can discover so much more meaning in a song. Oftentimes, what's happening is a, a, a flow of consciousness, um, just, just as uh, you might do in your professional career, you're probably not thinking about the textbook that you read to be able to have that skill. It b- becomes incredibly natural and intuitive. Yeah, please, right here.
1: Postman. Yeah. I'm thinking about your work as a historian and like how music interacts with its cultural moment. And I'm wondering if there have been like insights that you've evinced throughout this process where it feels like you're noticing something musicologically that mm-hmm. seems really emblematic of like this sociocultural
0: moment or like the zeitgeist or the political or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I, 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 Nate and I are incredibly interested. Oh, sorry. Uh, just to repeat. Oh, ask, and your name is Laurel, and Laurel is asking about uh, the sort of social function and of, of music and if there are things that are zeitgeisty that are reflected in the music as well as in, in culture at the same time. And it's something that we're really interested in. As much as we dig into the composition and, of a song, I think we're often looking how does that connect to what the song is trying to say and maybe what is that reflective of more at large in the world. I, I think uh, Nate and I talked a lot about uh, over the last couple of years maybe a, a frustration expecting maybe more um, politically motivated music in a period of intense polarization. And the, the thing that, that I, I realized was that you know, if you, the last three years, trap music has really been the dominant song form. And I think it's incredibly appropriate uh, for a, a handful of reasons. When you listen to trap music when you're hearing the, uh, the Kendrick Lamar piece. Uh, the music itself is incredibly dark and often fairly intoxicating. The lyrics um, can be anything... For, I mean, they can be anything, but oftentimes will be ab- about the experience of um, systemic injustice and poverty. They might be often also totally ridiculous and absurd. There's a song called Gucci Gang in which the performer sings the line, Gucci Gang.
1: Gucci Gang, 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 gucci gang.
0: I think s- 50 to 60 times. Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci
1: Gang, Gucci
0: <laughs> Gang. And... And... Uh, uh, we just did this piece on, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to explain Gucci Gang, but we just did this piece on disco that we put out today, and or sorry, lot this week, and um, about this song, Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa. And in researching disco, what was really interesting to me was that disco music was at its height in the late 1970s, which was not a great time, right? Like... Economic depression, uh, like decline of manufacturing, people out of work. And what were people doing? They were finding safety and comfort on the dance floor. And so it, I think that Gucci gang can often be the same sort of thing. It can be the catharsis from all the menacing things happening in politics and culture. Um, and, but maybe the music is a little bit of a hint of actually what's going on. The music is actually really the backdrop. So that's, that's what I'm hearing right now.
1: Should we do one more question? Yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. What's your name, Miguel. Miguel? um, yeah, this is something we've we've talked about. I don't think there's any conclusion, but we we could offer a hypothesis, yeah, I think the nineteen 20s the depression you mentioned also witnesses the ramping up of American industry and I see that song form that we discussed that a a b a song form is a very industrial song form like literally something that you can put on an assembly line almost like just how we composed it together Um, and then I think you're Miguel you're you're very astute we fast forward to the 1960s countercultural you're, you're hearing folk music and psychedelia and singer-songwriters, and they're looking for a formal structure that's more uh, idiosyncratic and expressive. And verse chorus offers that. Um, it doesn't have the same sort of rigidity that the AABA formed it. So now we fast forward to the 21st century, our post-millennial moment here, and we have to think about what is the seismic event happening in culture that would lead to this disintegration of song form and i think there i think i think it might have to do with something charlie was saying that there is like that that we live in a noisy world and music needs to cut through that noise and the techniques that allow you to do that are these techniques that we've been talking about that allow you to place um, hooks in every sort of nook and cranny of a song. Um, songs have, are becoming sh- shorter, uh, perhaps to be a little more direct and, and grab you even further. And something we've identified on the show is that some songs will even give you a little taste of what's coming next. They'll give you like a little, almost like a preview of the chorus at the very beginning of the song because, again, these songs are trying to... To, to to grab your distracted brain and bring you into a three-minute listening experience so you'll get paid for that Spotify stream. <laughs> um I, I have to imagine the changes that we're seeing in the chorus are aligned with that new sensibility and that new that new economic model. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh so uh if 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 you've enjoyed what you're hearing, we'd love if you pick up a book. We're we're gonna stick around. We're gonna sign things if you'd like. Um and uh we also want to leave you with a little musical note. Uh, if you feel like you, we, we were able tonight to bridge the world of maybe older classical forms and uh, ways of talking about music and contemporary pop music, uh, Nate has a song for you.
1: Thank you all. Thank you so much for coming out tonight.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.